Welcome to For the Record, Episode 16 with Craig Van Battenberg from Automotive Career Development Center. Welcome, aftermarket pros, to For the Record from the creator of the award winning Remarkable Results Radio Podcast. Now, listen to a slice of wisdom, a concept, a sentiment, a theory. Even a rant from one of your industry colleagues for the record. Hello, Carm Capriato here, and in just a few seconds, Craig Van Battenberg shares his eight tips that will change the aftermarket as we know it. Hey, I'm so happy to know that you like this new show and format as you listen to your industry colleagues share their very deep thoughts on everything automotive aftermarket. Think back 15 weeks. And you've heard some really great rants and opinions, and this episode with Craig Van Battenberg is no exception. Craig serves up eight very profound changes he recommends we do in the U.S. that will make a huge difference, and he sets up our future as we face increased technology and the lack of skilled technicians. Some of Craig's ideas come directly from Europe, as he knows firsthand, because he does training there. Now, I guarantee you'll ponder each one of his thoughts. Find these eight suggestions and links to his previous episodes at remarkableresults.biz/f016. As you know, the views and opinions expressed are those of my guest and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the author, sponsors, associates, or affiliates of LSTN Media LLC. For the record, is sponsored by the over 475 long-form audio lessons that make up aftermarket talk radio. Now here's Craig Van Battenberg for the record. Hi, my name is Craig Van Battenberg. You might know me from the Automotive Career Development Center up in Massachusetts, not far from Boston. And I do a lot of training on electric and hybrid cars. And for the last 12 years, I've been traveling back and forth to Europe to train people in Norway and Spain and the Netherlands and Germany, all over the place, actually. And I enjoy it. I like heading out of Boston on a nonstop flight. It takes five or six hours and you're there. So I just came back from two weeks, a week in Germany at Auto Mechanica, learning a lot about the latest trends, electric cars and such. But then I spent a week in the Netherlands, specifically three cities where there are three colleges where the instructors have come to Worcester and done training with us. In fact, I've got 10 more automotive instructors coming back from the Netherlands in about a week and a half, which will be, when you're listening to this, it'll be October of 2018. And so while I'm there, I always book a couple of days without anything to do. And what do you do when with your wife? You go visit a repair shop. So I went to this really cool repair shop called Baumeister's Automotive. Baumeister's a very Dutch name. And this is out, if you think of it as rural America, this is rural Netherlands. And they have salvage business. They have a new car, uh, sorry, a used car lot, restoration shop, auto repair. And I visited with five or six technicians. They all speak English well enough for me to visit because I don't speak Dutch, even though my last name, von Battenberg, is very Dutch. And having grown up in Utah and then Massachusetts, and I was born in 1950, so you can do the math, I watched the automotive industry change a lot around how they treat technicians, how technicians are paid, how auto repair shops make a living, because I ran a shop for 26 years specializing in Asian cars. So I came back from this trip, as I often do, and I think there's more than a dozen trips now in the last 10 years, it's frequent, thinking, what can we learn from Europe? What lessons 
do I continue to see over there, even though they complain about their own system, because we always do, that we could use in America? So kind of randomly, I've got like six basic ideas. Number one, and this may not go over really well with everybody, is to abandon flat rate, just complete flat rate pay, which, as you know, is partially illegal now in California due to a lawsuit a few years ago, to get the technicians' wives happy. Now, I say wives because over 99% of technicians are men. So as we age and we get older, raising a family, having a paycheck that fluctuates every week doesn't work well with a family budget. So let's just give that up. I certainly believe in incentives. When I ran my repair shop, people were paid hourly with one technician with salary. The salary tech, who's Doug Court, was my go-to guy. If I really needed him, he'd come in on Saturday. We had a very traditional shop, although we only worked on a couple of brands, Honda and Toyota mostly. So, number one, we need to figure out how do we get away from that. It was never intended for technicians. Those who don't understand flat rate, it was a system that Volkswagen came up with back in the 50s to take a clock and divide it into 10 pieces, which means six-minute increments, so that they could pay their dealerships where they had very few the proper amount of money to replace something on a 1957 Volkswagen Beetle. It was never meant to pay a technician was to get some order in how we warranty things and how much we're going to pay you to do it. Because back before then, you just kind of sent a bill in. And they kind of like sort of paid you. It wasn't, and, and nobody was doing it correctly. So this is going back when I was seven or eight years old. When I worked as a technician back in the 60s and 70s, I was always paid hourly. I didn't make a lot, but I love cars and motorcycles. I did a lot of Honda motorcycle work. So I was, it, was, it wasn't about the money for me. But you get older, you get married, you want to pay a mortgage, and now you're on flat rate and your paycheck goes up and down. So that's the first thing. They don't do that in Europe. No one's ever heard of flat rate. They're paid hourly. So there's one. The second one is I ran a repair shop. Now, when I first started, I had two bays. I was all by myself. December 20th, 1977, Worcester, Massachusetts. I could barely put two nickels together. I had no plans on opening a shop, but the motorcycle franchise I was working at went bankrupt in the middle of the summer. So I took a couple months off and rode my motorcycle around and said, what am I going to do now? So I rented a shop. I didn't have any money. Um, that's a bad business plan. I, it's amazing I'm here today, 42 years later. But most shop owners make enough money to buy all the tools. Why are we asking a technician, particularly a young technician that maybe didn't even finish college, to really put together around 10000 as a starter kit and then 25000 when they're you know, getting rolling and up to $50,000 in their own tools? That's unheard of in Europe. It doesn't happen there. No one's going to steal the tools that you own. They may have to fix the car the next day. I keep hearing, oh, they'll steal the tools. No, they won't. If they're professionals, they're not going to steal their tools because how are they going to fix the car the next day? So that's, to me, that's a kind of a bogus excuse. If you run a repair shop, you can more than afford to buy the tools for your technician, the best tools. So we need to stop doing that. It's another lesson we can learn from Europe. At, just get them in the door. But now, the third one, it's really, really important, right? So now we have flat rates gone. You're paying them by the hour, and you're providing tools. Well, they need to be productive. You don't want a technician to come in and strip a spark plug in a, in a four-cylinder uh, Hemi-type engine where the spark plug is 16 inches down inside the cylinder head and destroy the threads. That's a really expensive mistake. But we'll hire somebody without a degree that maybe, you know, for whatever reason, doesn't have proper training. So what happens in the Netherlands, where I spend a lot of time? You can't get a job without a license. What's number three? Get a license. Let's get licensed technicians in here like plumbers, electricians, and the rest, but a really highly skilled license. How do you get that? 
Well, number four, let's take a look at the curriculum that we have in our automotive high school programs. From the 8th grade to the 12th grade, we move around the country all the time for jobs. I'm right now in North Carolina. I'll be down in Georgia next week, and I live in Massachusetts. So people move. If you have a student, a young woman needs to get involved, but it's mostly young boys. Boys or girls, doesn't matter. They're in the 8th grade. They, you know, I kind of like cars. They start taking some automotive shop courses. There's no continuity between state to state and even within the same state. So let's get a curriculum that makes sense for public schools that's exactly the same from 8th grade through 12th grade. That makes sense to me. Do they do that in the Netherlands? Of course they do. Now, when you get done with high school, when I graduated from high school in 1969, I went right to work. There were no computers. I had a 12-volt battery and I had a test light bulb. I was good. I could fix cars. I could fix motorcycles. There was nothing to it compared to today. So now when you don't want someone to break that spark plug and cost you an enormous amount of grief, the stress involved, and financial, we need to have them break stuff. Where can you go break stuff? College. So why don't we get a college program, universal across the United States and all of our territories, so that when you finish high school in your automotive program, then you go to college for how much? $1,000 a year sounds about right to me, maybe $2,000, with no prospect of ever buying tools because you don't have to, because the shop's going to do it, and spend four years in college. Get a bachelor's degree in automotive science and technology and break stuff there. Why not? It doesn't matter. There's no customers waiting at the door. There's no boss who's worried about his bottom line. You're going to break things. Why did doctors work on cadavers for a while? Because that's the place to make a mistake, not when the person's still alive. (laughs) My repair shop, by the way, is right next to UMass Medical Center in Worcester, and now it's our training center. So I still see old customers at the coffee shop. They're doctors. Half my customers were physicians. I took a lot of lessons from them on how to run a business. So we need to get the training, the licensing straightened out. Then... When you're in your college program, you need to do an apprenticeship. I'm sorry, wrong term. You need to be, do an internship. An internship, there's no promise for a job. It should be paid. It doesn't have to be a lot. So you get these young people that where a shop is willing to do it because these people are going to break things to come in while they're in their college program and work on cars, hopefully cars the shop owns. So you buy a bunch of old beaters. In my world, it would be an old Prius. Have them work on that. If they break something, it didn't damage a reputation. It didn't hurt a customer. It didn't inconvenience anyone. And if they finally get this thing running, you can sell it and make a couple of bucks. That makes sense. Break the stuff that no one else owns but you. That's just an internship. And if you see they don't have talent, they really don't have talent, do them a favor. Have their parents come over. Break the bad news to them. and Say, you know what? This guy has two thumbs and he doesn't understand oscilloscopes and doesn't understand electricity, I think he needs to do something else. I don't want to disparage any other industry. We can think of a couple. You can go do that. Because if you don't have a really, really intuitive brain, and you have, you know, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey is like second nature to you, and electronics is like you love it, like you've had an oscilloscope since you were six, those are the people we need, the geeks that also have coordination with their hands to come in. They're few and far between. We need them badly. So we will be culling these people when they're in their first year of college, when there's no damage is done, and say, you know what? I think you should go be a hairdresser. Maybe you need to do this something else. Maybe I'm beating up hairdressers. Maybe it's because I'm bald and I don't care. At any rate, uh, (laughs) I know you can't see me. You're so lucky. 
I really have like a radio face. At any rate, so now that we've got them through college and they go in for their apprenticeship, it's a two-year binding contract. Again, this is all European stuff that I'm learning when I'm there. It's a binding contract for two years. You can't fire them. They can't quit unless there's some extraordinary circumstance. So you bring them in. They've got their college degree. They've got their license. Okay, they don't need any tools. So you walk in the door, and, they, and now they're 23 years old. They've done, or 22, and they've done a lot of training. They've been four years in college. Now they come in with a two-year contract, only two years. They don't leave. You don't fire them unless there's extenuating circumstances. And now you're really being able to see, is this the person that I want to work at my shop for the rest of their life? Is this the right culture? Are they on time? Do they have values that I value? You know, is there a little, are they a little shady? Um, who knows? I don't know what it is, but I know in my company, whether it was my repair shop or my training center, culture's everything. I need people that kind of think the way I do, that we have the same values. In other words, our moral compass always points north. That's important to me. So when they get that two-year contract, that's when you have two years to decide. And at the end of that two-year contract, you offer them a job for life. This is European stuff. What do we do now? We just poach. We're poaching one technician from another shop to another shop, and we've been poaching since I've been a tech. In 1970, right, I, I was a motorcycle tech, which meant I get laid off from every job in September that I ever had. And uh, I get that. So, so I got poached at, at when I was 20 from a Volkswagen dealership to go to Toyota. It's just been going on forever. So to kind of kind of give my little rant uh, some closure here, we're not doing very well. We're eating our young. We're not keeping people. They get paid more at UPS throwing cardboard than fixing a car. And they don't fix cars very well because they're not even finishing college. They drop out in the middle because they see the allure of a flat rate tech making lots of money. So we really need to stop and put this on pause and think about this for a minute. Is this the future of America? Is this the way we're going to do it? It's not working. Get a plane ticket. Go to Europe. Travel around with your wife. Stop at repair shops. Stop at schools. They all speak English. Find out what they're doing. Come back here with another frame of reference. And maybe, just maybe, we can fix the industry within the next 10 or 20 years. You're going to have to talk to your legislators. And by the way, how do we do it? We've got to have a mechanism. The tool thing, that's a tax credit. That's just 100% tax credit. That's easy. The license thing, that's legislation. So your legislators have to work with you. The tax code has to change. We can, I've thought about this a lot, and we can do this. And I'm very proud to tell you, in 26 years of running my shop, I provided tools to kids who didn't have it. They eventually bought some. We never paid flat rate one day. We did just fine. Don't try to squeeze every dime out of your business. I really want to teach a class, and I want to name it this. It's for shop owners. How to be more successful and put less money in your pocket. Now, that might be a kind of a weird class. How to be more successful, put less money in your pocket. Take that 50000 extra that you've been making by squeezing nickels, put it back in tools, education. Give it back to the tech. They're the ones who are making the money. It's easy to lose sight of that. When you become successful, you get some money. Remember where you came from. Maybe you were like me growing up in the projects, a single mom, six kids trying to put two nickels together, and you're fixing cars or motorcycles. Because it really, really matters. If we can keep this thing going, you're not going to do it. By asking the technician to buy the tools, stand around by their toolbox, making nothing till a car shows up, that's a dead-end street. So think about this a little bit and see if you can make some changes. 
And this is Craig Van Battenberg from ACDC, Worcester, Massachusetts. If you want to send me an email because you don't agree with anything, Craig at fixfixhybrid.com. Same as our website, fixhybrid.com. Thanks for listening to For the Record from Remarkable Results Radio. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening app. Find all Remarkable Results podcast content at remarkableresults.biz. Remember, your learning curve never sounded so good.